Book Three, Chapter Three of A Class Book of Old Testament History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Hare. A Class Book of Old Testament History by George Frederick MacLear. Book Three, Chapter Three. The Last Plague, the Passover, the Exodus. Exodus 11 to 15. Hitherto the elements of nature had each in their turn been commissioned to fight against Pharaoh. In all the preceding plagues there had been human intervention. The rod or the hand of Moses had summoned from the sacred river, or the fertile soil, or the rainless air, or the desert sands of Arabia, the ministers of punishment, and wrought signs and wonders in the land of Ham and had proved that the god he served was no mere national god but was lord over earth and air and water over cattle and man over tree and herb but none of the elements of nature were to bring on pharaoh god's last sore judgment at midnight said jehovah will i go out into the midst of egypt and all the firstborn in the land of egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. I will execute judgment against all the gods or princes, Exodus 13, 12, Marg, of Egypt. I am Jehovah. Before, however, this last great blow was struck, involving the firstborn of the highest and the lowest in one common fate, certain important preliminaries were to be enacted. It was now the Hebrew month of Nisan, or Abib, the month of green ears. On the fourteenth day of this month it was announced that the last sword judgment would be inflicted. But on the tenth day of this month, a month to be to the Israelites henceforth the beginning of months, the first month of their sacred year, the father of every household was to select a lamb or kid without blemish, a male of the first year. It was to be kept till the fourteenth day, and then slain just before the evening twilight, Exodus 12, 1-6. A portion of the blood was to be sprinkled with a bunch of hyssop on the two side posts and the upper door post of the houses of the Israelites, and on the selfsame night the lamb, roast with fire, whole, not a bone being broken, was to be eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Of this meal each household was to partake, with their loins girded, their shoes on their feet, their staves in their hands, in haste like persons in a hurry to depart. Of the flesh of the lamb nothing was to be allowed to remain until morning, and all remnants were to be burnt with fire. And at midnight, while they were partaking of this mysterious meal, the Lord, they were told, would pass through the land of Egypt, and smite all the firstborn both of man and beast. But when he saw the blood sprinkled on the houses of the Israelites, he would pass over them, and the plague should not be upon them to their destruction. Exodus 12, 7-12 Such was the ordinance of the Passover, a memorial feast to be celebrated, not on that night only, but throughout all future generations, and to be kept for a period of seven days during which leavened bread was neither to be eaten nor found in any of the houses of the Israelites. On receiving from Moses the Lord's commands respecting this feast, 
the elders of Israel, partakers with him of a like faith in the certainty of the events about to be enacted, Hebrews 11.28, bowed their heads and worshipped. On the tenth day of Nisan, the month of redemption, each household selected a lamb or kid, kept it till the fourteenth day, slew it, sprinkled the blood upon the side posts and the upper door post of their houses, and at midnight were eating of it with the prescribed ceremonies, when suddenly the last and most awful of all the ten plagues began. The Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, unto the firstborn of the mighty Pharaoh himself, and all the firstborn of cattle. In the darkness of that awful night the monarch rose up, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and a loud frantic cry arose throughout the land, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Terrified and confounded, the stubborn king could no longer resist the power of Jehovah. He implored Moses and Aaron, as an act of kindness, to depart with the utmost speed. And not only he, but all his people joined in the petition, and pressed upon the Israelites jewels of silver and jewels of gold, earrings, signet rings, necklaces, and festal apparel. Thus furnished by the Egyptians themselves with costly ornaments befitting the great day of their deliverance, the whole host of the Israelites, numbering six hundred thousand men capable of bearing arms, besides women and children and a mixed multitude from the lower orders of the Egyptians, went forth from Ramses, and in the darkness and cool of the night pursued their way. Exodus 12, 37, 38. The nearest route to Canaan would have been the usual caravan route, which runs in a northeasterly direction along the coast of the Mediterranean, and would not have occupied more than a few days but it would have brought the host into collision with the warlike and powerful nation of the Philistines, and for such an encounter they were as yet totally unfit. From Ramses, therefore, which was probably on the eastern skirts of the delta in the Wadi Tumelat, they proceeded in a southerly course, and after a day's journey halted for the second time at Succoth, Exodus 12:37, the place of booths, formed by the luxuriant foliage of tamarisk, sycamore, and palm, at the verge of the cultivated land of Egypt. The next day's halt was at Etham in the edge of the wilderness, Exodus 13:20. At this point, the Lord himself, in an outward and visible form, assumed the direction of their march, appearing by day in a pillar of cloud and by night in a pillar of fire. Such a miraculous intervention was indeed needed to confirm the faith of the host, for instead of being conducted around the northern extremity of the Red Sea, so as to escape with all speed beyond reach of their Egyptian oppressors, they were commanded to turn and encamp before Pihaharoth, the place of Sedge, between Migdal, a frontier watchtower, and the western side of the Red Sea over against Baal Zephon. Here they had scarcely encamped, when lifting up their eyes the Israelites discerned the terrible horses and chariots of Pharaoh pursuing after them. Astonished that the people had not made good their flight into Asia, and deeming them entangled in the land and shut in by the wilderness, the monarch had directed all his forces to give chase to the fugitives. In wild alarm the Israelites cried out to Moses, 
and already complained of their deliverance from the bond of Egypt. But the faith of their leader was not shaken. He bade the trembling, panic-stricken host stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They had not long to wait, for at this moment the angel of God, who went before the host of Israel in the pillar of cloud and fire, stationed himself behind them so as to deepen the gloom in which the Egyptians were advancing and afford light and encouragement to the Israelites. Simultaneously Moses advanced toward the Red Sea, either at the present fords of Suez or at some point higher up, and stretched over it his rod. Thereupon a strong east wind began to blow, the waters were divided, the bottom of the sea was exposed, and amidst walls of water standing up on either side of them, on their right hand and on their left, the caravan of the Israelites defiled in long procession. All night the wondrous passage continued, and as the morning broke they had safely landed on the further shore. Meanwhile their foes, determined to prevent the second escape of their prey, had rushed on amidst the pitchy darkness that surrounded them into the same awful pass. But at the morning watch, when they had reached the midst of the sea, the Lord looked upon them from the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled their host, and caused their heavy chariot wheels to sink in the sand, so that they drave them heavily. In wild confusion they shouted to one another to turn back, but it was too late. Again the hand of Moses was uplifted, and straightway the waters, till now congealed from their lowest depths, Exodus 15, 8, began to break and give way, and the sea to return to his strength. All efforts to escape were fruitless. Fast and furious the sea swept on, the engulfing waves closed over them, horse and chariot and horsemen sank like lead in the mighty waters. Then from the Israelitish leader and the host which had stood still and seen the deliverance Jehovah had wrought for them, there burst forth a noble song of praise and thanksgiving, while Miriam his sister and her women accompanied them with timbrels and dances. Together they sang the praises of him who had triumphed gloriously, who had cast Pharaoh's chariots and his host into the sea, and drowned his chosen captains in the waves, whose right hand became glorious in power, and dashed in pieces the enemy, who had blown with his wind, and gathered the waters with the blast of his nostrils, and in his mercy led forth the people which he had redeemed. Exodus 15, 1-19. Compare Psalms 127, 16-19. Thus at length the word of the Most High, which he spake to the patriarch Abraham at least four hundred years before, was fulfilled. The seed of the patriarch had grown into a great nation. They had been strangers in a land that was not theirs. They had suffered cruel affliction and degradation. But the oppressing nation had been judged, and with much substance the oppressed had come forth. The jewels of silver and gold and the festal apparel which their late tyrants had forced upon them, well became this their national birthday. Once slaves, they were now free. Once a degraded tribe, they were now an independent people. They had left behind them Egypt with its grinding tyranny and its memories of years of suffering.
They had been baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. 1 Corinthians 10, 2 Their faces were set towards a promised land, their hopes fastened on a glorious future. End of Book 3, Chapter 3